0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 23rd, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. How do we get a defense budget more in line with the actual threats the U.S. faces? Daniel Dresner is a professor of international politics at Tufts University. He spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on threat perception and national security held in October. What have you learned so far today? You've learned first the U.S. spends an awful lot on defense. Um, You know, if you compare the United States expenditures to the rest of the world, the U.S. is now responsible for close to 40% of worldwide military expenditures and close to 60% of great power military expenditures. We spend an awful damn lot. Um, You have also learned that threat perception has been perhaps inflated, and that, in fact, if you actually do a more accurate uh, assessment of the actual threats to the United States, perhaps the threats don't match that military spending, that there would be ways in which you could uh, cut back. Uh, another thing that I don't think you've learned, but I think should be talked about is actually the political shifts within the United States about defense spending, which is, I think, 10 years ago, you could you could absolutely talk about how trying to go after defense would be, you know, the, the third rail mm-hmm. of politics. I think, if anything, the last two years, shifts, particularly within the GOP, have made it such that you can now talk about pushing for cuts in defense spending and get reelected. Um, and that, you know, increasingly the, the GOP, which used to be thought of as the uber hawkish party... I don't think is any more. I think the hawks are actually a minority within that party now. Um, so this leads to an interesting question: If there are these pressures to cut defense spending, um, what would the you know what would the actual effect be? And as you would imagine, uh, this has caused some pushback from the, those very hawks. First of all, they would point out that if you actually take a look at U.S. national security strategy, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about George W. Bush or Barack Obama, a sort of cornerstone of that national security strategy is, in fact, the idea of U.S. military primacy. So the notion that the U.S. You know, will be you know not only the most powerful military in the block, but will obviously be so powerful that no one would even think of challenging the United States. Um, and the argument that has been made by some, including Eugene and others, is that if we do cut back on that defense spending, um, you know, and we reallocate that money either in the form of, of tax cuts or in the form of, of different forms of... Public uh, goods infrastructure, that this would be a net gain. Um, A lot of hawks have pushed back on this. Uh, Bob Kagan, who I think is the smartest and most literate of these. uh, Let me quote this in particular. Those who support cutting the defense budget think that if the United States would simply scale back its role in the world, it could save money and make raising further revenue unnecessary. This is a faulty assumption. Were the United States to cease playing its role in upholding this order, were we to retreat from East Asia or to go back away from the challenge posed by a nuclear Iran, the result would only be global instability. From a purely economic perspective, it would be far more costly to restore order and stability, both essential to a prosperous global economy, than it would be to sustain it. Uh, Now, besides the fact that clearly Kagan hasn't read Eugene Goltz, you know, it's an interesting uh, argument put forward, and it's not just been put forward by Kagan. Steve Brooks is a co-author of a a fantastic paper uh, with Bill Wolferth and John Eikenberry that makes the case that, in fact, there are significant economic returns Uh, for the United States to maintain military primacy. So this paper is part of a larger project that I've I've, uh, been investigating to try to find out exactly what the causal logics are whereby having military primacy actually leads to increases in uh, in revenue. In other words, how how do you actually make the money? How do you make the buck from the bang, as it were? Um, This is an interesting question because actually in international relations scholarship, there hasn't been that much written about this, um, as in fact, Brooks, Ike, and Barry pointed out. So the punchline, I think, is that, you know, this the hypothesis hasn't really been tested. And in this paper, I look at sort of both the oldest and newest arguments. The oldest argument is what I will call imperial rents or imperial extraction. And the newest argument is one that Eugene talked about, which is this notion of hegemonic stability theory. Um, the conclusion I come to is that essentially both of these are one argument is wildly exaggerated uh, or somewhat exaggerated. The other one is just simply flat out wrong. Um Let's go to the imperial rents argument, or as I like to put it, the Donald Trump theory of international relations. Um, Because if you remember back during those brief shining two weeks when Donald Trump (laughs) was the leader of the GOP presidential nomination, you know, race by public opinion polls, you know, Trump's great insight into foreign policy was that the United States had not extracted enough oil from Iraq and from other places in the Middle East where we had sent our troops. And if he was president, he would make damn sure that we would be able to get that sort of return from our military investment. And in some crude, truly preschool way, Trump was trying to articulate the notion, I think, that there was some advantage to be gained from actual, you know, uh, economic empire. Um, Empire is the oldest form of of territorial organization in the world. And the notion is, is that by having an empire, you can have resources flow from the imperial dominions to the metropole. Um, So military primacy presumably allows the the hegemon to engage in coercive extraction. Anywhere where it invades or it sends its troops, it will somehow get booty from those dominions, uh, whether they're formal or informal. Now, you might logically ask, is this still useful in the 21st century? You know, post 9-11, there have been some people who have argued that, in fact, yes, for certain raw materials, (coughs) oil, that you could, you know, use that uh, military force to extract that resource, and that would actually be relatively valuable. Or another argument that uh, people like Max Boot have made is that by using force, you can drain the swamp uh, of uh, threats, thereby, you know, preventing those threats from potentially hitting you here at home. Um, The evidence for this is crap. There's just no other way to put it. Uh, Just, you know, uh, in the pre-industrial age, there is absolutely evidence that, in fact, empire did pay off, to be fair. Um, I think this is sort of a long-lasting thing. If you take a look, you know, most of the uh, economic uh, literature on pre-industrial empires show that there was some gain, in fact, from exploitation. Um, There's considerably less evidence from this in the industrial era. Uh, If you take a look at Great Britain, for example, it actually earned a higher rate of return on its investments in Latin America where it didn't have uh, outright colonies than it did in places where it did have outright colonies. If you look at the Soviet empire during the Cold War, you know, it actually forcibly removed a lot of factories from East Germany and moved them uh, to the Soviet Union. The evidence there is that after the first five years, actually, the rest of the Warsaw Pact was a net drain rather than a net gain uh, to the Soviets. Um, As for the post-industrial age, you know, there's a couple of problems with this. The first, and and David Edelstein has done work on this, for this sort of extraction to work, you would actually have to have a very long-term occupation of the countries in question, and yet it is, in fact, the long-term occupation of countries in question that is almost guaranteed to generate the kind of resistance that undercuts the ability to extract resources in the first place. And, you know, last on this, you know, you take a look at places like Afghanistan and Iraq. The United States certainly went in and, and, you know, used a lot of force, and yet the biggest foreign direct investors in those countries is China, uh, which suggests that, in fact, maybe it's better not to be the country going in. Okay, so we can get rid of that. But really, you know, anytime I can write a paper where I talk about Donald Trump is is fun. Daniel Dresner is a professor of international politics at Tufts University. He spoke at the Cato Institute's conference on threat perception and national security in October. You can watch the full conference at Cato.org.